This podcast is part of the 76ers Podcast Network. Search 76ers Podcast wherever you get your pods. It is our final mailbag before the All-Star break. So we ask you, the great 76ers fans out there, what was your favorite moment from the first half? We'll share responses. Plus, we check in on the state of the team, Ben and Joel's chemistry, Isaiah Joe with the blue coats, and more. Your voicemails, your DMs, and a chance to win swag every week. We do it right here on Mailbag Monday. Somehow, we are already at this point. It is the final Mailbag Monday before the 2021 All-Star break. I, for one, Lauren Rosen, I'm just appreciative that we've made it this far. About two and a half months worth of quality engagement with our great, loyal supporters, listeners, and tremendous Sixers fans out there. Yeah, and it really does feel like we're getting more and more submissions every week. So as always, thank you guys so much for what you contribute. Even when we don't get to everything, personally, I really like to just hear what you guys are thinking about, the type of of questions that you're asking yourselves, because that helps me inform like the content that we do on other platforms, because Seltz and I do the pregame show, and I write about the games, and like it's very helpful for me to hear what people want to hear because then I can do more of that. So thank you as always for the feedback and for the questions. We appreciate them. Our job literally is to cover the 76ers, but fundamentally our gig is all about serving you out there. The people we are here to inform and try to expose you to new things. So yeah, the feedback has been awesome. We love it. For me, Lauren, this has been one of the most fun things that we've introduced and rolled out uh, this season. And if uh, anyone is a first-time Mailbag Monday listener, you're wondering, well, how do I get in on this? Uh, Here's the way it works. You can leave us a voicemail. We always prefer and love to hear the sound of your voice. 215-403-7637. 215-403-PODS. Or you can look for ways to connect with us uh, when the DMs are open, either on Twitter or Instagram uh, on the Sixers main account every Sunday afternoon. There's usually a sticker question that's put up there. Submit there. We'll then filter through those and read some selects on the mailbag. Or uh, follow myself or Lauren Rosen. Lauren's at Lauren M. Rosen on both Twitter and IG. Uh, I am at Brian Seltzer on Twitter and at Seltzer Sixer Snaps on Instagram. Although I've been debating, Lauren, whether or not it might be worth the... 30-second sweaty palm scramble to convert my locked personal on IG, at Brian Seltzer, to my professional and do away with the at Seltzer Sixer Snaps handle. I mean, you know my opinion. I I like continuity on both platforms. If I had the luxury of even having Lauren Rosen with no M in it, I would certainly be using it everywhere. So because you have Brian Seltzer, I would use it. That's my two cents. The current at Brian Seltzer account is locked because it's just a dump of kid content you know that's that's what it is and no one no one needs to see or hear or watch that i love the kid content but anyway yes i say do it why not okay that might be an all-star break activity for me put it in the calendar <laughs> listen i think there's one thing that i would say i need to change about the mailbag and that is this is the third straight week that we're taping after a loss come on we need some win six i mean i'm not expecting the sixers to win all the games but at least on a saturday or sunday before the mailbag it helps I do think that's funny. This team is 22 and 12. They're still the head of the East, but it does feel like we only tape the day after losses. So let's just try to make sure we remember, as we always try to do on this pod, that we're zooming out. We're remembering this is still a team that's leading the East. And they won this week outside of the loss that we're coming off the heels of that, as they all admitted, wasn't their best outing. 
I'll say this, though, to the credit of the populace out there, the feedback, the responses have been very good for this week, a nice wide swath and diverse collection of submissions and inquiries. So I'm excited to get to the mailbag, and with that, let us open it up. You have one new message. Court Kuba on Twitter will tip us off. He says, do we think... Doc has been trying to get Ben Simmons to be more aggressive, even with Joel on the floor, and do we think Simmons might start? Perhaps this is a question asked following the way that the game against the Cavaliers ended. Do we think Simmons might start taking more threes by the time the playoffs start? Do you want to go first? You're going to like my answer, Seltz. I think I, anytime this topic comes up, I sort of take a page out of Doc Rivers' book. And when Doc is asked about this, type of thing. He says he loves how aggressive Ben is. He loves what he does on both ends of the floor and that we spend too much time talking about what he doesn't do. Did I, did my eyebrows go up when I saw him pull up for that three late and, and have it go in with confidence? That was great to see. Love that for him, but I'm not someone that's going to be out here demanding more from Ben. I, I like the way that doc has said, look, you're great at a lot of things. Lean into that. Other stuff will come if you want it to. And I'm okay with that. And I think maybe it's working. I think first and foremost, yes, I love the way that not just for Ben Simmons, Doc, I think this has been one of the biggest strengths of his so far. He has been empowering each of these players to be essentially the best versions of themselves and then putting it on him, and this isn't to say anything about how things went in years past, but I think Doc is really embracing this, putting it on himself to find ways to accentuate and maximize the best of what each of these players can offer. So do I think that we're going to see Ben starting to take more threes by playoff time? I'm not sure if it will be a consistent part of his game. Would I expect to see him take a couple more threes in the second half of the season and not take none? Yeah. I mean, I I think it'll just happen kind of like it has sporadically throughout the first half. But the biggest part of that question that Court asked was, has Doc been trying to get Simmons to be more aggressive even with Joel on the floor? Absolutely, in my opinion. And Doc has said as much publicly. And some of the Doc said before the game against the Cavaliers, um, he was asked about Ben and Joel and their chemistry. And I thought it was really great to hear it come straight from the head coach, but saying how much the Sixers are focusing every day on creating driving lanes and floor space to maximize the ability for Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid to be out there and do their thing, a la the way the Sixers did it going back two and three seasons ago. I am with that for sure, Seltz. I think there's just been so much chatter about how Ben and Joel should play together. And I like the fact that this year, Doc just wants them to both be their best at the same time, to coexist, to help each other be their best. No one needs to take a back seat here. And that's something that's been really clear in these teams' best wins is how well the two of them can thrive together at the same time. Or off the court, like if one of them's out there, they can thrive. If both of them are out there, they can thrive. And that's what Doc wants. He wants them to be their best. He wants them to lean into their skill sets and and to help one another do that as well. And I think we've seen it. Something we talked about on the Friday Deep Dive, which we do every Friday with Devon Givens from 97.5. The Fanatic was the number as a pairing that Ben and Joel have put up this season right now going into Monday's game against Indy. Uh, They're just under a 14 net rating for the lineups in which the two of them play together. What I should have looked up, and what I will look up at some point, is really look at uh, Lauren, their offensive rating together compared to previous seasons. This season's at around uh, 119, which is obviously really good. Uh, But last year, for comparison's sake, 
by the time Simmons and Joe had played around 800 minutes together, right now they're at almost 700. Their net rating was less than one. <laughs> so to make a leap of roughly 14 in that category just speaks to how affected the two of them have been this year. So Court Kuba, thank you very much for that on Twitter. Zaid Dalal on Twitter. I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce that correctly. Thoughts on the energy the team played with against the Cavaliers? Seemed like we had a couple of those games this season. What are we missing to get the energy ramped up during the game? I will say I thought personally, Lauren, that that was the only game the Sixers' energy was like that this year. Um, I think going back to earlier this season when the roster wasn't at full strength, I mean, you think about maybe a game like Memphis, you could explain and rationalize and understand that because the Sixers didn't have their full complement of weapons at their disposal. I just thought Saturday personally, and I think that the guys said this, Doc Rivers didn't hold any punches after the game, just didn't have the requisite sense of urgency or perhaps seriousness going into that game on Saturday, and they got caught, which I think, not to make an excuse, it's going to sound like it, I do feel like that's a reality even for really good teams over a long 72-game season. I have two thoughts on the matter, Seltz. The first one, this morning I was listening to Ramona Shelburne and Zach Lowe on the Low Post, and they were talking about the Lakers, who have had a little bit of a skid lately. Anthony Davis is hurt. They've lost a couple of games to maybe opponents that they shouldn't have lost to, talking about their loss against the Wizards that was not a very cute one. And, and something that Ramona said is that it's kind of that time of the year, and, and good teams are going to sleep on bad teams sometimes and and they're not going to be able to bring the energy every night but that doesn't mean that the Lakers aren't one of the best teams in the West just because they're struggling right now doesn't mean the Sixers aren't still the best team in the East because they had one tough game so hearing her someone who's covered great teams for a long time say it that way and hearing Zach Lowe agree made me think okay yeah maybe it is just that time of the season I'm not used to covering a team that's really competing at the top at a high level year after year this is new for the Sixers and so it's interesting to hear her talk about it that way so don't overreact. That's my thing number one. And my thing number two, Celts, I said this to you during the game. This is a team that's won so many close games. And I do think that they have a little bit of confidence, a little bit of swagger about the fact that they can pull it out at the end, which in a lot of cases is a great thing. But if you relax too much and rely on the fact that you think you can turn it out at the end, you're going to end up having problems. And like you said, they got caught. But I am going to hold on to the fact that we have seen this team take over in the second half in the fourth quarter, Joel Embiid making it happen. And they really almost did. Joel's last shot of regulation goes in and it's a win. And we're talking about, wow, they really eked that one out right. despite the off night. So I do think looking at the fact that, that they could have made it happen and they were that close despite being as maybe relaxed as they were is kind of a good thing. It's kind of cool that you can have an off night and really not activate until late in the game and then and then still hang. Again, not something you want to keep doing, but it's 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 weirdly a little cool to know that this is a team that can be down 15 and and still never really be out of the game, you know? Yeah, I think for me the biggest part of this is just don't let it happen again. You know, that that one of those situations where let's not see it happen. Um, where, not to imply that the third quarter or fourth quarter against Cleveland was the best version of the Sixers we've seen, but I feel like everyone would agree that if the Sixers played like they did in the second half, in the first, still might not have been their best, but it certainly would have been enough. You're going to have games, what comes to mind first for me, most recently, Lauren, is first night against Toronto and Tampa a few weeks back. Shots weren't falling, Sixers were playing hard. Not your night. That happens over the course of a season. But just, uh, you know, take care of the intangibles, all that stuff. Um, um, and then things, you know, in the long run, I think will ultimately break the uh, the Sixers' way. 
So on that note, we put Saturday's game against Cleveland. We're going to bury it deep in the time capsule. Pile the sand on, get your shovel, and put it away. Feel that? What we got now? You have one new message. Jessica Town on Twitter. Isaiah Joe, in my opinion, shows the most promise of helping the Sixers in what they need the most right now. Why is he the one sent to the G League? Do you think there's a corresponding move? I don't view this as a negative thing at all, in the least. I felt like I'm not sure if that's what Jessica intended with her question, but this isn't a bad thing. I'll start with that, and then I'll follow up, Lauren, based on uh, whatever takes, thoughts, opinions you have on this. I think I've just become resident, let's not overreact person on this podcast. I'd like to remind folks that Isaiah is going to join the G League bubble that is going to end rather soon during a time where the team is about to have a break. So really, he's just going to go get reps. He's going to get more minutes than he was getting with the Sixers. This is a good thing. It it, it means that he's going to have more opportunities to, to sharpen his craft so that when he comes back up, this is a rostered player, when he comes back up to the Sixers, he just has more reps. His feet are more under him. I don't see this being a bad thing in any way to put in time during what is a break for most of his teammates outside of Ben and Joel, of course. I say props to him for going down there, getting some minutes in, getting some run in. Good for him. Good for the team for having an option like that for him. I think this is a great thing. And it happens every season. I want to remind fans that every season, players towards the bottom of the roster go down to the G League to get reps. It's just what happens. It doesn't mean that anything crazy is happening. It doesn't mean that the, that the walls are coming down on anyone on this team. It's a good thing, I think. To me, the takeaway should be they want him to get reps. That's why this is happening. And that is a positive sign for Isaiah Joe. If you listen to anything that Doc has said about Isaiah most recently within the past couple of weeks when he's gotten some more minutes, I think they really love Isaiah. They feel like he can defend. Obviously, we know what he can do shooting the ball. We saw a couple games back in January when he reached double figures when the 76ers had so many players out due to health and safety protocols. To me, this is all good. They want Isaiah Joe to help the Blue Coats down in the bubble. A, because I think they feel the Blue Coats have a chance to make a run down there, as we saw when they got off to that 7-0 start. And I think they want to keep Isaiah fresh. If he's up with the Sixers, he might get playing time here and there, but will a few minutes at the end of a game um, or spot duty at the NBA level help him as much as just staying fresh, keeping his legs underneath him? And then who knows? Who knows what the Sixers do with him in the second half of the season? So to me, I would say if you love Isaiah Joe and you think he's got great potential, this move to me signals the Sixers feel the exact same thing and they want him fresh. And I would add that if you love Isaiah Joe, watch the Coats because they've played some really good games yes. down in the bubble. And if you're missing your Sixers, they're about to have a full week off. Check out that check out that DETV broadcast, that Facebook Live, so you can tune into your Blue Coats, watch B-Ball Paul, watch Isaiah Joe. I'm going to be doing it. So if anyone wants to watch along with me, just let me know. It'll be fun. And the very last thing I would say about all this is let's turn back the clock two or three seasons ago. Remember how the Sixers would utilize someone like Shake Milton sending him back and forth. And let's look where Shake Milton is right now. Bingo. Voicemail. You have one new message. Hey, I just wanted to call and show some love. I really like the way the Sixers started out this season. Obviously, there were some high expectations coming in, and they really came out strong. Uh, still some work to be done, but I'm really happy with where this team's at right now. So definitely have some high hopes moving forward. Let's go Sixers. Very measured voicemail bag message right there, Lauren. Yes, they have lived up to expectations, I would say. And by the same token, there's more to do. We know Doc Rivers has the list somewhere. He's got the list. 
Well, Seltz, you know I like to remind people of this. I don't think this team has just lived up to expectations. I think that at this moment in time, this team is continuing to exceed expectations. This was a very new group with a very new head coach, two new guys in the starting lineup, a couple new guys coming in off the bench. And approaching the halfway point, they are still leading the Eastern Conference as they have throughout. In pregame chatter, you know I love national media. You know I love to listen to podcasts. You know I love to watch ESPN. I do it all. No one was saying that the Sixers were going to lead the East halfway through the season. They said they would be in that top group, but not even necessarily in those top three or four teams in the East. I think expectations were a little bit maybe low for this team. So yes, they met expectations. They've exceeded expectations. They're headed into the break, either the first or second team in the Eastern Conference. And I feel pretty good about where they're at right now. And I hope that the folks that are listening along do too. One thing that stood out to me, Lauren, after the game on Saturday, uh, as far as post-game comments, Joel Embiid, I believe it was, said that he feels the Sixers should perhaps be taking more threes than they are. And I would agree with that. I think that's something as we look to the second half, um, if they can find the right balance, because we obviously know who the anchor of this team is, and it's Joe, if they can find the right balance, maybe try to get up some more threes. They're a pretty good shooting team from beyond the arc at around 36.5%. They're tied for second to last in the NBA with the Knicks um, just uh, in front of the Cavaliers for fewest three-point attempts taken per 100 possessions. So I don't think it's a matter of the Sixers being necessarily a poor three-point shooting team. I think they're very, very good. They obviously have great threats in the likes of Seth and Tobias and Danny and Joel's been on this season. Get a few more up. I think that'll help them against some of these more potent three-point shooting team. So to me, that's one of the bigger things as far as uh, I'd just be curious to see if they tried that, uh, if they could find a, a balance to strike how it would go. And I would add, as it pertains to the three-point shooting conversation, when you look at the three-point shooters on this team, Seth, not Danny in the list that I'm <laughs> that I'm about to make, but you'll see why. When you look at Seth, when you look at Furkan, when you look at Mike Scott, when you look at the, the guys that you're counting on to shoot threes, Shake Milton, they've all missed time lately. And it takes a minute for people to get back into rhythm. I think the fact that those shooters have been sidelined for whatever reason, we're seeing now a little bit of an uptick in the way that all of those guys are playing. The fact that they're all going to have a little bit of a break, hopefully come back healthy. Then you'll be able to see that productivity that you saw a little bit more of at the beginning of the season. I don't think that the three-point shooting is going to be as much of a problem as maybe we're making it into because all those guys have a shot. They've just missed some time. And, and I like that Doc Rivers has been very careful about the way that he talks about Seth's game because Seth has been a little bit up and down since returning from COVID, but of course he has. This man got really sick and had to come back and just go back into being an elite athlete. That's really hard. I've, I've, anyone that's been sick knows how hard it is to get back to work. But if your job is to be an elite athlete after being sick, that's really hard. So patience for Seth, patience for those guys off the bench that have all kind of missed a little bit of time due to injuries or due to protocols. I'm not super pressed about it right now. Tobias Harris, another one who's now missed one game, but he's dealing with an injury. So it's not necessarily the Sixers' fault that their shooters have had some injuries and some time away to deal with. No, I have no concerns about Seth Curry whatsoever. And Seth, I trust. You have one new message. On Instagram, I hope I pronounced this correctly, ThorCL14, we reference vibes asking, will there ever be a music video of the Sixers' pregame vibe sessions? What an idea. I think there should be Celts. I think something yeah. that we run into pretty frequently is, is copyright issues. Um, the guys listen to popular music when they're warming up and the team isn't necessarily allowed to use that exact music to push out of the arena. 
So I think that's something we could run into, but that doesn't mean that we can't make some sort of cool compilation. I'll put it on my radar. I try to send out phone videos at the game that (laughs) normally wouldn't necessarily be effective, but I'm realizing without fans, that's stuff that people like to see. So I'm saying it on this podcast. I'll keep doing it. I'm going to try to send one out every game. And I will make sure to, to brainstorm a way that we could get some sort of compilation going because those vibes certainly deserve to be highlighted. The vibe check. We know whose beat it is. No doubt about it. You have one new message. Rapid fire to wrap this up. We love all the feedback we get for the mailbag on the Sixers Sunday sticker asking questions for you to submit to. There were a ton of responses, uh, apologies for obviously not being able to get to them all. So I tried to group, Lauren, a few of them in themes, and we'll just hit a couple of these topics. The question this week was, favorite moment from this first half of the season? There were a ton. The very first reply we got, I think to no surprise, was one of the leaders in the pack as far as favorite moments amongst the fans. Simply dot germ Tobias for the win against the Lakers. That was an awesome moment. I'm with it. To me, it's either that moment or the uh two three zone comeback, the John Cheney matchup zone against Indiana. So those are my two favorites. More on that to come. Nice. But yeah, Tobias for the win against the Lakers, win against the top team in the NBA at that point in time, the defending champs, and a huge moment for Tobias in a national spotlight game to clinch the game winner with a clutch shot and prove that, yes, as I would throw out there, an improved score this year, an improved timely score this year. Noah Stoney saying Tobias becoming MJ on the fallaway versus the Lakers, so nice to see some love for Tobias Harris. Will underscore Raph, Joel Embiid's fadeaway against the Bulls. Of course, as far as favorite moments, highlight signature moments from the first half of the season, we got to get to the 50-point game. I'm with that as well. I I, I think that 50-point game, the 50-piece McNugget that Tobias talked about, I, I was all about that Joel Embiid performance. There have been some really good moments so far in, in, in this young season, Celts. This solicitation for these uh, submissions made me appreciate even more what we've gotten to see over the last two, two and a half, three months, because there were a great list of things to select from to answer this question as far as favorite moment from the first half. Aaron Griff saying Embiid's 50-piece McNugget game. There were so many replies about uh, Joel Embiid's career-high 50 spot. Liam Stevens says Joel pulling up to tie the game against the Miami Heat and then winning that game in overtime, a game the Sixers really had to grind out against a scrappy, um, shorthanded Miami Heat team back in January. Crazy that you say back in January, because that game was just a little over a month ago, but it feels like a lifetime. This year is so weird, but I agree with you. A lot of awesome moments, and and I'm glad we're getting to relive them now. Embiid with 45, 16, four assists, five steals, and a block shot in that game against the Miami Heat, a three-point win back on January the 12th. We talked about Joel Embiid's career-high performances, of course, Lots of love on the gram as far as favorite moments featuring Ben Simmons' personal best scoring performance. Underscore dot Quill says Ben Simmons goes for 42 against the Utah Jazz. Absolutely a highlight from the first half. Yeah, no doubt about it. This team has had some really exciting games, even when shorthanded. And remember that that 42-point performance, the team is without Joel Embiid. I'm now remembering Tyrese Maxey's 39-point performance when the team was absent about everybody. Um, There have been some cool moments for this team, even in games that didn't necessarily end up going their way. Yes. Maxey got some love. I'll read some of those in a second. Uh, Christopher.Grima says, Ben Simmons, 42-point game. He's the GOAT Chad.Men's one. 
writes, take that, Tyler Johnson, dunk, laughing, crying emoji. That was a great dunk. Ben's had a lot of, Ben always has great dunks, but the one on Tyler Johnson, that was pretty excellent. He really does. I'm, I'm with it as well. All right, underscore Barack 565, the first win against the Boston Celtics, another game that felt like a lifetime ago. Joel Embiid had a 42-10 and 10 game in that one. The Sixers uh, knocked off the Celtics back on January 20th at the center. Any win against Boston is a good win. Agreed. I feel like I'm just I'm just like pumping up these responses. I don't necessarily have takes for them, but I feel all this. I feel all this hype. Isabella Irvin underscore the fourth quarter comeback against the Pacers. That was her favorite moment from the first half. That might have been mine as well, Seltz. You and I talked about this with Devon on our Deep Dive podcast, but that was a really memorable run there. Um, and really cool to see the guys get pumped up about defense because that's going to come in handy down the stretch. Yeah, Sixers had the 37-point fourth quarter in that one to beat the Pacers 119-110. On January 31st, Tobias went for 27. Ben Simmons had 21. Great game all around. Brandon underscore Walters talking about that zone defense comeback versus the Pacers. I think we sometimes lose track of the fact that Doc going back to day one has acknowledged that if the Sixers are going to do this thing this year and make a run, it's going to be on the back of their defense. And that game was a great coaching wrinkle thrown in by Doc at a timely moment, and it really unleashed Matisse and Ben. Yeah, Matisse with those four steals in the fourth quarter, he was really, we got to see him thrive in his sort of natural environment. He's, he's gotten this reputation as a great defender, whether it's man or in zone, but we haven't seen a lot of zone from him in, in the NBA. And getting to see him really thrive and lead the team through something was just a very cool moment all around. Caitlin Barrar again, this is from our Instagram sticker submissions from at Sixers. Matisse Thibel putting the clamps on John Wall, Blake Griffin, Zach Levine, LeBron, etc., etc., etc. Her favorite moments from the first half. I'm with that as well. Now I'm starting to think I need to rethink what my favorite moments are because Matisse has had some awesome, awesome defenses, defensive performances this year. I think everyone was really impressed by him as a rookie, and it was unclear as to, to how he would level up, but I think he certainly has. He's become a lot more refined. He's done a really good job against some really high-level players, and I know that the team is very grateful to have him. So it's been cool to see him grow from a rookie into a really solid, meaningful role player for this team. And you mentioned, Lauren, keeping things in the big picture. Let's just go back to December in the first few games of the season or the first couple of weeks, and people are like, where's Matisse? Is he out of the rotation? Well, he started training camp slow because of injury, and here we are now at the All-Star break, and we're talking about a guy um, who clearly is playing some elite defense and statistically putting up some of the best numbers in the league based on a per-36-minute basis when he's out there defensively. So great shout-out by Caitlin for Matisse. Best of Furky. I wonder what they're going to talk about for their favorite moments from this first half of the season. Every time Furkan's in the game is my favorite moment. Logan Miller 314 says Furkan with the backwards dunk, the dunk of the year against the Bulls. That was pretty good. Good to see Furkan come out of his little baby slump, too, that he was having. I, some of my favorite sectors of Sixers fandom and Sixers Twitter are the are the Matisse diehards and the Furkan diehards because they ride for their players, and I can, I can, I can get behind that. Those are two great guys, and, and when both of them are on, they're pretty electric. Funk.e.felix. When we found out Maxi was pretty good, felt like we got a number one pick referencing the 39-point game against the Nuggets. Agree. For me, that was definitely a first-half highlight. Yeah, cool to know that that 
Tyrese's potential is just, I mean, the ceiling is so high on that kid. He is wonderful, so fun to watch, and was cool to see him thrive in what was a pretty difficult situation for the team as a whole. Frank Thomas, 31-51. Tyrese Maxey dropping career high versus the Nuggets, so some love for Tyrese in our first half memorable moments. And we'll wrap this up with uh, two that are pretty similar. Underscore Erica Cole says, favorite moment of the first half of the season, bringing Doc Rivers to the team. We are on the road to a championship cup emoji. And Jay Don't Five, seeing this new group of players and coaches building the chemistry to help us win. I think that is right. If you want the underarching theme for all of this, would it be overarching? I think arcs don't under. The overarching theme for all of this in the first half of the season is new coach, inheriting players who had been here and then new roster pieces gelling together. And like I said earlier in this pod, Celts, you might have expected it to take a little bit longer for this team to gel, but they have come in on a condensed training camp. They haven't had many opportunities to really bond due to COVID restrictions, and they are winning games more than any other team in the Eastern Conference, period. And I think that's really cool to see that it's it's a new team with a new coach and new leadership. Things are going pretty well pretty early. Phenomenal. Love the mailbag this week. Doesn't matter. Win or lose. The game before our taping. Great stuff by everyone out there. Uh, we will notify you. Look in your DMs if we select you randomly as a winner for a swag bag. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the voicemails, for the DMs, all that good stuff. Thank you, Lauren Rosen. Again, programming reminder, we are not going to have a mailbag next Monday. We're taking Monday the 8th off because it's the All-Star break. We'll be back with our next mailbag Monday, maybe perhaps with a special guest, let's hope, fingers crossed, on the 15th. I think we're going to have a special guest at some point. I don't know when, but uh, be on the lookout for that. I'm looking forward to it, Celts. All righty. See ya. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.